Hello, affiliate listeners. We are here at Affiliate Summit West. We just had a super interesting and I think one of the most compelling things I've heard in a long time conversation with Jason Oates with Live Intent, and he's telling us how they are using dynamic insertion with a lar- in email on banner ads with the largest publishers in the world, scaling businesses in ways that we could only dream of. You have to jump in, give it a listen, because this might be something that changes next year for you. Jason, so excited to be talking to you today. Thanks so much for taking some time out of ASW and the business of Vegas, because I know Vegas is obviously calling for your attention at all times um, to do something else, uh, probably involving spending money most of the time, but (laughs) definitely not doing podcasts. So really appreciate it. And man, we are going to talk about some things that got me really excited today. Um, But first off, I actually just want to ask, how are you doing? Doing good? Doing really good. This is, I think, my third or fourth conference uh, this year. So getting back at it yeah. during COVID, a little bit weird, but uh, so far so good. Yeah, I know I had to really flex and like, I really, I didn't realize my extroversion muscles have atrophied so much. So being around and socialized and networking, I was like, holy crap, I'm exhausted. Um, so I know I had like a four week break before I came to another conference after like a stretch of four. So <laughs> I, I hear you. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a bit much, but it, It's exciting. It's still good. Still good. So, um, well, what we really want to talk about today um, and focus on at least leading off is possibly, I think, the biggest thing that's been scaring people, making a lot of people worried, especially going into 2022. And that's, we'll call it the the Facebook apocalypse, right? Everyone that's been experiencing (laughs) iOS 14, you know, they're fearful of iOS 15. We'll touch base on that in a little bit. Um, But but really a lot of this with Facebook, we've seen businesses that were doing great, affiliates that were doing amazing, high margins, ROI, and then just it's been a bit of a desert for them. I know companies that have just left Facebook entirely. We're seeing spend divert substantially off that platform. Um, and, and, And it's tough right now. There's a lot of people that are really struggling. You have some great insights into it. And I'd love to just kind of hear, you know, Talk a little about what's going on. What yeah. are people seeing? Why? And then we'll we'll hint on where they should where they should go next. That, but. that sounds good. You know, I think you get a little bit into the way back machine and think about the beginning of of uh, COVID. Um, a lot of people pulled out. <clears throat> there was brands pulling out of, of Facebook a little bit. You know, before yeah. that, um, we took a little bit of a hit as well at, at Live Intent, and um, and so you see a little bit of a of a pullback, um, and then, you know it was a really good time to buy on Facebook. Yeah. For a lot of people, their CPAs dropped by like 20%, you know, 30%. And for DTCs, they soaked up everything because they were delivering into the home. So if you were a retailer, if you were e-commerce and you were DTC, your business exploded in in 2020. And Mm -hmm. it sucks for, you know, it was a terrible year, obviously for a lot of people. But if you were into retail and DTC, you were doing really, really well. And Facebook soaked up a lot of that spend. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty immediate. So people, it was like a heyday. But when you now look at people's businesses, and this, so they, they planned in 2020 their business, COVID hit, and you know you get punched in the face, you got to come up with a new, fa- new plan. They did the same thing in 2020, they came, or 2021, came up with a plan and got punched in the face with 20 to 30% increases in costs on Facebook. I think it's interesting to look at the underlying reasons why that happened. Um, e-consultant or e-marketer came out with some really good research and showed that what happened during the pandemic is people got stuck in TV. They got stuck in mediums where they had really expensive commercials that took a long time to actually write, and then they couldn't get out of their commitments. So it hurt a lot of people. And I'm sure some publishers gave up some of those commitments and a lot made it easier on people, but a lot didn't. And so what they did was actually during that period of time, they had to reshoot everything, but then they pulled out of TV going into 2021 20, upfronts. 
Mm. And so you see a, all of a sudden a decrease in TV and a surge in digital. And most of that revenue that came from TV into digital went into Facebook. Yeah. This year alone, they brought in, they re- had to reforecast the five years uh, at, at eMarketer. And, said, and they said that like an extra $6 billion went into Facebook this year. Yeah. So now you couple that. Okay, now so you add $6 billion to a company, huge company, worldwide $6 billion. Um, and then, but are they growing? Is Facebook growing? So you yeah. get all that increase in demand. What's going on with the supply? Yeah. Well, they stopped growing in North America a long time ago. But now you couple that with IDFA going away, with Apple killing one of their identifiers, making it hard to actually identify people in app. And all of a sudden, Facebook loses a bunch of reach, a bunch of targeted, targeted reach. So now you've got $6 billion coming in and less inventory. That's what's actually driving the 20 to 50% increase in CPAs and pricing a bunch of people out of the market. And that's just, I think, the beginning of what's going to happen even more. Yeah. Yeah. And let's dial, dial that back just to make sure that everyone fully understands. Because, yep. you know, we did see that, you know, we were one of the companies that were uniquely positioned that when, um, you know, the pandemic hit and retail just got eviscerated yep. and all this inventory was just sitting there for affiliates and clients like ours to just go after it. And so we saw huge, and I didn't say it was, it was a really some stupid returns that people were getting because yeah. those CPAs were so low. Um, and, and we saw on top of that, a lot of people were sitting at home um, and thinking, well, I don't have a job or I don't have a way to work. I should try and find a way to make some money. And we saw a bunch of new entrants. So affiliates and things like that. We also saw that huge increase of people taking advantage and they hadn't been there before. This is, they're brand new to this, right? So they've only known the success of what was a unique situation um, into Facebook. And now they're seeing Oh, great. We have all this competition and we have the pixel loss and now it's not even targeted, right? So even when we started seeing spending go back up, it wasn't as bad, but you pair that increased CPM with removing that huge targeting aspect. Yeah. We're now really in a position where, you know, when we were kind of talking about this, where Facebook's entering to being almost like a CPM style model where it's just, you have to have a lot of funding because you can't get really targeted. You can't do a couple hundred dollars a day and expect the results that you used to get with Facebook because they don't have access to that precision. Um, so, you know, it's really, yeah. gosh, it reminds me a lot of just if you're trying to do like GDN or something like that, display networks, right. but potentially even worse because I can't shut off publishers on Facebook and we have really broad demographics. So hoping that the algorithm is going to do the work, but we're not seeing that being the case um, at this I mean, point in time. Identity is the most important thing for any algorithm to work. You know, we've got tons of different signal, you know, coming, uh, you know, into our system. We use machine learning and AI to, to make the decisioning on what to offer. Identity is by far the most important thing. We purged third-party data out of, out of our system years ago. It was expensive to keep, and then every time we would update, you know, it was a brand new platform. Every time we had to update everything, we had to reconnect with all the third-party data companies, but when we looked at what predict, which is our machine learning, what it was actually finding is the hottest and the best signal, the most predictive of performance was identity. Mm. You strip that identity out of Facebook, you could do a bunch of different things and try to actually make it work again. Uh, but that inventory that's not targetable looks like TV. Yeah. Yeah. And we know what's the problem with TV. You have to spend a lot of money yep. to get results because it isn't targeted, right? It's just really broad. You know, an audience is there but you're just gonna have to spend a lot to find them. Now, at the same time, Facebook is a people-based marketing platform. Email is at the center of those identities. Like for a lot of their properties, they still have an always logged in audience. Mm -hmm. When you're an always logged in audience, that's attached to an email. 
So still, that is an identifier that they use in a lot of uh, for a lot of their media. It's just that when they're when they're when they're have to use you know the Apple identifier, or they're buying they've got something in a cookie environment because they're going to lose the third party cookie from Google. Mm-hmm. That is actually going to make uh, less inventory available. Yeah, in a targeted way. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, and we'll circle up to the idea of identity and really what that is. But you mentioned the loss of the Google Pixel. Let's elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah. And what that could spell out for people that maybe if they weren't aware, yeah. um, and if they weren't aware, they definitely should be. And if they are kind of aware, let's really talk to what you think that might might um, spell out for their future. I will. And there was a t- something you mentioned earlier, and I want to put this out there, that, that if you've only been doing media for you know a few years and you got into digital when this was happening, you don't have any context. If you've been in the marketplace, like I started way back in you know, like 1996, I've been through multiple recessions. And so if you're you know, in a recession in performance marketing, your numbers are just going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. But you have to plan on the market coming back. And I, so I think a lot of people weren't thinking about what's actually happened. History is just repeating itself over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. This was a recession that was driven by, you know, by the, you know, the pandemic, um, only made worse by, by you know, identifiers being killed. So I would say it's important to study history and not start forecasting based on an anomaly. Yeah. And every 10 year recession. So yep. just something for people to, to think about. And so going to, to, to Google. Um, so, you know, Mozilla already killed the third party cookie. Sapphire you know, or, or Safari, it's already gone. Um, and so so Apple, you know, did that years ago. And now Google is planning on actually killing the third party cookie. They delayed it by two years. They delayed it by a year and then they delayed it by another two years because they really started to understand. Wait a second. The entire infrastructure of the open web was un- unfortunately built on cookies, which is not a great identifier. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it identifies a computer. <laughs> it's not great, a device, yeah. you know, yeah. like it's, it's really not um, true to identity because multiple people could be using that. It's mapped to multiple people. And so that's not really very good. But by killing it, that's actually going to make it very, very difficult for a lot of ad tech to work. Ad tech was built on cookies. That's why, you know, and, and JavaScript and all sorts of other stuff. But cookies are inherently important. Um, all the targeting, the optimization, the attribution, all the things that actually performance marketers need to do uh, to make sure that they're actually really efficient in the way they're using their media, get as much out of it as possible, and drive that low CPA, that high ROAS, that high second purchase. Like That's the business that we're all in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's actually going to cause a lot of issues. Now, thank God they waited two years because it was supposed to happen this year leading into 2022. Mm-hmm. People are not ready. Yeah. I'd say about a third of marketers actually have been working on it. A third are thinking about it and doing some planning. And like a third just kind of like, mm, well, maybe this won't happen. Yeah, yeah. Or I'll deal with it once I'll it does. I'll deal with it when it happens yeah. is actually a really common thing. There's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, reluctant followers mm-hmm. where they just kind of hope that all the fast, you know, fast movers will figure something out and they won't have to worry about it so much and, and put so much into it. They can just implement what other people have come up with. Yeah. Not such a great idea. There's some things you can be doing, you know, to mitigate risk now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially, I mean, think about like, that's assumptive that people are going to be able to pivot in a situation that will feel unprecedented at the time. You know, you just mentioned so much of ad tech was built off this and built off exactly what you talked about. The cookie 
well, might be flawed, was still a cornerstone of yeah. the identity that we all wanted as marketers, right? So yeah. it was built to other things, bringing in other data and lots of things to refine that and make it more precise. Yeah. But that cookie was still such a big cornerstone. You know, take the foundation from the home that you built isn't always going to go really well and expect a fast pivot if, you know, your house is built on that sand. So, yep. you know, you really want to make sure that you start talking and thinking about it now. Um, and there's definitely a lot of effective things that we're seeing some companies do. But I think it's just important to know, and like you said, when that happens, don't be one of the people that are waiting yeah. or hoping that something's going to happen. Because what you're probably going to do as a pivot is find a new job or a new business or I don't know, um, a bankruptcy lawyer. I'm not sure. There's going to be a lot of different things, but most of which will not be something that you'll be excited about or want in your business. So, um, you know, that, that's why it's important to be talking, looking about this now, especially if you're feeling yeah. some of the pain of Facebook. Like this is, this is just like a, a, a toe in the water of what will happen to you in the future if you don't start pivoting and changing now. The great thing though, absolutely, is there's things that we can do. Like yeah. you don't have to sit here and wait. Like the, there's already things you could start doing. So talk a little about some of the things that, that you guys are doing or yeah. some things you see that companies and affiliates and yeah. media buyers need to start pivoting to and doing their business, kind of ride out this change in our advertising climate. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think one of the first things, and, and there's a lot of research out there, eMarketer did another whole research on, on identity, um, which I thought was actually really interesting. And one of the things that they talked about the most was first party data. Um, you need to, to, to build up your first party data assets uh, and primarily email, email address and, and really embrace that. Um, some businesses actually, you know, where, where if they're just grabbing phone number or just grabbing mobile ID, like, that's not going to work. It's really not, you know, email is the largest human identifier ever created by humans. By wow. far. Wow. By far. And it can be used in ad tech, martech, and mad, you know, in, 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 you know martech, mad tech, and, and ad tech. So it can be used as an identifier um, or part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually having that asset and building up that first party data is really helpful. Because one of the things that you can do eventually is also you know, um, start building a graph, like a people graph um, of all of your customers. So now you've got email tied to first party, third party cookies, you still have some third party cookies, uh, tied to mobile IDs, device, you know. So all of a sudden now you've got a pool of identifiers that you can actually leverage in different media. You might not always be able to use email, but you can use email to uh, authenticate mm-hmm. that other ID. Um, so I think these are things to start thinking about. Build up your first party data assets, find some partners that can actually help you build out your um, ID graph, put it in probably a CDP, which is a customer data platform, and now you can have easy access to it. Yeah. So I think those are some infrastructure things that people can start thinking about. Yeah, and a way to kind of think about it, it's the idea of owning the data that you're collecting, your like owning data. your customers, right? So yeah. oftentimes when we're giving it out to platforms, we're, we're really trusting their algorithms, their tracking, third-party tracking is, is the core of what we do realistically our customers still remain behind a veil a veil that somebody else owns and as whether that's you know facebook going down we also not even to talk about government regulation this whole cloud oh sitting over you know mark zuckerberg and this target that he has to rebrand for right like rebranding means antitrust is coming almost every single time um, at a company their size so you know it's it's spelling out a lot of changes and because you don't own that then you don't own your ability to pivot. You don't own what's going to happen in your future. So it's really, really key to get that first party data. And I can't 
emphasize enough that people need to do that. Um, but email is one of the ones that we've seen, I think, consistently since Al Gore invented the internet and email yep. came out. <laughs> it, it continually ends up being one that just is always there and always really strong. So um, I don't know if you could elaborate a little bit more on why that is, because I, I know we hear it all the time and I keep, I don't know why, but every single year there's somebody that comes out with email's dead, email's dying. It's been dying. I mean, it's like Keith Richards at this point. Everyone keeps thinking it's dying, but it's yeah. just still here kicking just as viable as it was 10 years ago. So not to say that it hasn't changed, but still yeah. very viable. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I just heard that last week. Every, I mean, I, it used to be you'd hear it every single week. Like yeah. When Live Intent first started 12 years ago, um, you know, we go into agencies and go to places and they were just like, email's dead. Email's not really a thing. I'm like, email's like oxygen. It's so important that you don't even realize how important it is. You know, average consumers spend six hours in email a day. Uh, and when you look at email activity in just an internet minute, I think it was like, you know, three years or four years ago, it was like 156 million emails sent per minute. Crazy. Now it's at one, like in the 190s or 180s. So it's been growing substantially and it's larger than all internet activity combined. That's how big it is. It's so pervasive that it's the workhorse of the internet, but people don't really understand how often they're in it. Yeah. Both person to person, but more importantly, it's the number one way that brands can communicate with customers. And for customers, it's their number one favorite way of communicating with brands. Mm -hmm. So it's not going anywhere. And when you think social, like there was always a reason why people thought that email was being killed. Oh, social is gonna kill email. You have to have an email address to sign into social. It's what makes social and, and people-based platforms so powerful is because they have email as identifier. That's what makes them so powerful. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, I think that's just so key, and I just wanted to really hear that from you because yeah. so often we sit there, and like you said, there's – you know, whether it was Facebook or it's TikTok or YouTube or who knows what the next thing is that's going to come out. You know, there's always a reason to say that it's going to die. But yep. like you said, it's actually for something that's dying, it sure is getting bigger and stronger. And boy, if anything, it just tends to replace what paper used to be, right? Yeah, like how often you go anywhere, you could have an option to say, email me my receipt, right? So yep. if everyone understands that transactionally, and like you said, interacting with brands, this is the preferred method. Yep. But that's because a lot of that could be because email is a very passive form True. of communication. So it's something I could access and interact at my leisure, but we know that's what people want, right? Yep. They want to interact you know, at their own time. Because if we think of like social mediums that we have, you aren't always in control of who's interacting with that's you. True. That's the news feed. It's the algorithm. You think of text message, right? If you're texting somebody that's super intimate, it's going to come through. You feel like this is something, well, I can't really ignore that. Versus email, I could shut it down. I could look at my notifications if I want to, but I could also mute them and kind of go through and parouse at my at your like leisure. I want to. When yeah, my leisure. Yeah. Your way. yeah. And so I think that's one of those things where when you look at that, that's how I could see why this is going to continue to sustain. Not to mention one of the things that I think this is a nice transition to what you, you're doing and talking about. But um, we've seen the rise, and I know I really enjoy this, with the daily email, right? Like, you know, it started that's with right. daily podcasts, and there's daily this, daily that. We're inundated with news that's very, very tailored to us. The idea of daily aggregation or something that we want to interact with has been really, really popular. And it's not just popular with, we think of email, maybe that's older demographics. Not true. Yeah. It's it's across every single area, right? So, yep. you know, whether it's the New York Times, whether it's BuzzFeed, daily email is massive and it presents a massive opportunity because of that. So, but you are yep. much more well-versed in that. So I'd love to kind of hand it off to you and talk a little about 
you know, email, particularly some of these daily emails and um, how it's kind of something you should really focus on in 2022. Yeah. I mean, just look at what happened during COVID. Um, COVID hit. We took a little bit of a hit. We had advertisers kind of freak out and pull back a little bit. And we're like, we've never been down this road before. Like, what's going to happen? And that lasted for two weeks. And then the surge happened. A surge of DTCs, anyone who could deliver anything into a home uh, so they don't have to go out. Like, that was actually huge. Um, and then all the major publishers started producing new COVID-related content, and people ate it up. One, they were at home. They weren't traveling. They didn't have to commute an hour or whatever that period of time was. They're home the entire time. Email usage went up like crazy. It was frequency went way up. And new users started actually going in there and spending more time in their inbox. So you got more reach or more, more you know, in, uh, unique people uh, logging in more often and what was great is that the content started pivoting. And so you saw a lot of that actually happening and the consumption went through the roof. Um, so, and there was a lot of daily stuff. Everyone wanted to know like what's happening. What's, and I don't want to get morbid. I want to get into all that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that people wanted to know, you know, how many people passed yesterday, how many people got it, where are the hot spots? that became a yeah. very easy place to go to figure out what happened. Of course, people were glued to their TVs as well. Um, but that was actually really important and even getting younger segments, like they're finding ways, you know, there's, there's definitely templates that actually start catering, especially music and other things like that, where you look at Spotify, Spotify started creating digests, looking at what you're doing on Spotify, another great people-based marketing platform that you have to be logged in and have to have an email address to mm -hmm. be in. Yep. They started doing mashups. They started actually making recommendation engines. So you get something that says, this is what you've been listening to for the last three months here's all the things that we recommend to you and it's in your inbox it's easy to refer to you don't have to be in the in, and all of a sudden now they've got new impressions in a people-based format where now they could eventually add more advertising and things like things like that yeah and that captures a younger audience yeah. no yeah and we won't get into it spotify and some of the really exciting things they're doing from an advertising thing which i've been yep. doing some research on but boy whew, there's some some cool stuff um, yep. that's going on there if you're looking for emerging traffic sources. But no, you're right. And I think uh, the big side of that consumption, too, and people sitting at home, like a lot of people thought that would just change, right? It would just go back the way it was. Like that's not mm -hmm. happening. We've seen so much digital adoption occur in this hyper-concentrated period that people aren't going back to that, right? People aren't wanting to go back to the office. Yep. Most offices, if they can, are going hybrid. Um, a lot of people uh, we've seen have left the traditional job market yeah. for something where they could have more flexibility. Flexibility is key and email is a key part to capturing that flexibility. So it's definitely uh, an important piece. So I, and I realize um, this before we get into the dailies, I, I wanted to make sure that we'll, we'll put a pin in this, but yep. um, I do want to circle back and talk a little bit more about what you mentioned with the, the data and personalizing that, that database, some ways that people could do that, maybe some different levels if maybe you're not to where you could purchase, but we'll, we'll yeah. circle back on that a little bit later. That sounds good. So let's talk a little bit about the daily. So people are in, you know, engaging with their email more often, especially we're seeing it like, you know, whether it's a daily newsletter or it's weekly, we're just seeing people do it more. more. So um, obviously a lot of people have been doing inner email marketing for a long time, but you guys started seeing a different opportunity, a way to change things. Talk a little bit about some of the new opportunities with all these extra eyeballs that were being presented. Well, I think um, fundamentally, uh, you know, the part that I haven't gotten into was was that you know email was not uh, a medium. You know, Matt Kaiser and I were at Daytran Media and and had built that company up, uh, and that was like a you know solo email, dedicated email. That's where we fell in love with email. 
Um, but there was no real-time ad servers in email. Like when you looked at newsletters and these dailies, the ads were hard-coded. And when they did use an ad server, when, because of, of a bunch of caching issues and whatever, you'd end up going to the wrong landing page if you even clicked on the ad. So people were just giving it away. It was not a real-time medium. And so that's what we actually address is saying, what if we could actually insert an ad at the moment someone opens up an email, turns images on, and then we decision? And that was actually a huge, uh, huge breakthrough. Not easy, uh, by any course of imagination. Yeah, we thought, we, thought, we imagine. thought about it for like 10 years, and it took a lot uh, to actually build it. Um, but we finally had that breakthrough 12 years ago. And that's what really was the game changer. How, you know, the question was, how do you become the largest email marketing company in the world with no email addresses, and you don't have to send any email? It's by actually doing real-time insertion, doing ad serving. We took all the best advertising technology that was built over the last 25 years and figured out what would be most important to add into the best marketing channel ever created, which is email. So adding ad tech to martech to create mad tech. And that was kind of what we did. And once we knew that we could do it and we could actually make it work, that was a game changer. So now you could, could you know, it's a parallel universe to the open web. You've got the open web and now you've got email all the same publishers, a lot of the same content. Every page view, for the most part, is a first page, like a home page. So you're not dealing with the fifth or sixth click. And it's based on an identifier that's deterministic and the biggest identifier ever created to you know, track people. So yeah. that's what actually makes what, you know, made it really powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and so now as you have all these dailies, now you can actually see what is the type of content people are, 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 are looking at. How relevant is that to what we might want to serve them? You know, what environment are they in? Are they in parenting? Are they in sports? And that kind of information. And I think what also is, is a really big thing is part of the reason for us to exist is to actually give publishers a way of competing against Facebook and Google and Amazon. That is in our DNA. Like, in our, like how do we provide more services? So think about that, you know, the New York Times or any major publisher. How are they gonna compete when a lot of their inventory is actually cookie-based yeah. on the web? And by understanding the power of, of email, now they're building up their first-party assets. Like think of a Fanatics, six billion emails sent a year. They're a large media company. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't think of a retail company as being a large media company. But now think about that asset. Now if they want more people base, what they can actually do is yeah, market to people while they're in their emails and allow advertising in, but now take those audiences and push them onto the open web and allow marketers to now go target these fanatics, this fanatical fandom, you know, you yeah. know, sports fans, but on the open web using new identifiers, not being you know, completely dependent on cookies. Mm -hmm. So not, think about it like when they have these assets in email, now they can leverage these assets across the entire open web. And now they can actually target those audiences on, on, on live intent as well across both paradigms. So open web and the world of email. So it yeah. goes beyond just email is not about sending email anymore. Email is about identity, mm -hmm. right? So how do we replace that third party cookie you have to interoperate with a bunch of different companies and a bunch of different identifiers and build a new foundation that's not going to be shaken by just one company deciding it's going to kill something. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not so dependent on a single fail point. Exactly. You know, and that's where when you're combining, right? We we've known these companies of you know, think of these publishers, the big ones, right? They yep. They're producing amazing content. They have for, for decades upon decades, they're cornerstones of content, but yeah. they've been you know, hamstrung. The yeah, they've been <laughs> hamstrung by the, these cookie things. They feel so siloed. Now it's creating something that's gonna be resistant to that in that it 
creates this great identifier, right? Yep. And then it builds off of it, right? We know that people are opening, they're communicating, they're connecting with us through this email. Yep. Let's really leverage that. Now, you guys have obviously done all the hard work to make that possible, um, which I don't know if everyone would want to go through those uh, <laughs> pains and so on and so forth. But, but yeah, I mean, can you share any stories, maybe some just success cases on some campaigns that you guys have been able to be a part of with, uh, you know, live intent, this dynamic insertion on email? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the thing, you know, we spent, you know, nearly a decade in affiliate marketing and fell in love with affiliate marketing. And so the idea of going back or going into display, which, you know, uh, I had been in display for, you know, a decade and then moved into affiliate and then kind of went back. And it was kind of scary, all new language, like how's this gonna work and, and what, what's gonna work, um, you know, in this email exchange. And um, so we thought, oh, it might be the same stuff as affiliate, but now we gotta go brand and like what works on the open web. What I didn't know was that it was gonna work so well for retail hmm. that we could actually be running media on the CPM and actually hitting CPA goals, cost per sale, cost, you know, cost per acquisition, yeah. And ROAS goals, two to one, three to one, four to one. And that was a game changer. That started happening about six years ago. Wow. And so we went full performance. We were like, look at what Facebook did. You know, to us, performance marketing is not a pricing model. Mm -hmm. It's an outcome. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I'm back at Affiliate Summit, is to actually really ring this bell and talk about, you know, we missed out, a lot of affiliate missed out on Facebook. Those that are in Facebook are doing arbitrage. They're buying on a CPM. They're starting to prove that it's outcomes that we care about, not a pricing model. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's one of the reasons why, you know, the, the campaign successes that I'm so excited about is being able to hit, you know, for, for a company like a Bombas or a Mack Weldon or a whatever it is, you know, hit their CPA goal, hit their ROAS goal, and now you're starting to focus on second purchase. What's the second purchase rate? What's the average shopping cart value of the second purchase? What's the lifetime value of actually three months? How do we compare when you look at all that data to a Facebook, to a Google, to anybody else? Yeah. And so going deep into performance allowed us to start scaling companies, um, finding them when maybe they're early, 10 people, 15 people. We work with really small companies to really big companies. And then actually being a real game changer, you know, being one of the top three largest suppliers. Mm -hmm. We're the size, we're larger than Facebook in North America and we're growing. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's fun is to find someone overly dependent on Facebook in a desperate situation, not diversified and scared. You know, like how are they gonna replace Facebook? Mm -hmm. They have to replace Facebook with like 50 different media companies. Yeah. And has 50 different relationships and they only have like a few people in their operation. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the diversification play is 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 really fun and it's really nice to have a big impact on on you know on brands yeah yeah especially if you could find stable you know some stable sources right that are building more than just one single fail point like you have with facebook or you know it might be a youtube something like that um yep. you know what you guys are offering isn't isn't that it's it's much more complicated it's much more i shouldn't say complicated well, it's complex. naturally diversified Sorry. yeah it's, it's yeah. naturally diversified right mm -hmm. it's not just you know it's two thousand five hundred publishers reaching 220 million people just in the last 30 days. So I looked at our reporting this morning, you know, 220 million individuals that we reached and Facebook is at 200 million yeah. in North America. That's really exciting and it's diversified and you're not running in like user content. You're not running in an environment where people actually are miserable. Like when you look at studies of people that are on Facebook, a lot, especially young women and a lot, yeah. of, and a lot of people that are, you know, it's tough. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you, when you look at that association, that brand association that you get in Facebook versus the New York Times, 
the Washington Post, some of the best publications ever actually created, the best editors, the best writers. That's a different environment to be in. Mm -hmm. And for us to actually make it work for performance, that was the holy grail. Yeah. That's the holy grail. I love branding, interesting. But when you have an annuity, like a performance campaign with an unlimited budget, as long as you're hitting their goals, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing better because it, it's just going to keep on happening. Mm-hmm. No. Um, that's a branding a campaign, you can knock it out of the park and never get budget again. Yeah. Yeah. Because it gets so it's so hard, right? You know, attribution like branding. It's it's funny. I was an accounting major in college, and that's why we made brand campaigns, or why we made yeah. fun of marketing majors. Because it's like, how do you pinpoint the use? You know, the I always felt like I was talking with a cult leader, right? Well, we have the feelings. This is the general impression. We know that people are talking about us. I'm like, well, man, I know you're talking about it, yeah. but I I feel like I want dollars and cents to tell me that it is. So so eliminating yeah. that and really seeing it, so you could know, and the decision becomes very easy to continue yeah. to put money to what you know is working, what your returns are. So so that's fantastic. Before we talk about how those small companies that are in those, you know, they might feel that they're in a desperate situation or even ones that aren't, that they yeah. just hear this podcast and go, this is a great opportunity. We'll circle back how they could get a hold of you. But I want to talk first because I was really, really interested in this. You mentioned getting that first party data. How do you start building out and building your own data database? So I think I'm a lot of people could be, this. yeah, a lot of people could be very intimidated by that idea. Yeah. It feels like big data, it feels expensive, feels challenging. What do you tell people in that situation? How do they get started, depending on their size of the company, if you want to do like small, medium, large, with building their own kind of first person database? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say one of the first things is make sure you've got value. Um, people are willing to give you their email address for value, and um, you got to provide a good value. It's just you're going to get caught. And if you don't provide good value and you don't have good stick rate, then all you're going to be is churning. You're just going to keep on this treadmill and you're never really going to grow. So really think about the product and think of it with an outward mindset. I mean, it's, if, if you just think about, I need to make money, I need to make money, as much money and increase margins, you could actually end up in a, down the wrong path with your customers. So definitely put the customer first, outward mindset, and think about what's going to actually make it stick because that can be really important. Well, I'm going to pause real fast on that one, too, because I think that's a huge one that we see oftentimes. And even we go back to what we talked about Facebook and those new entrants when things are easy, sometimes thinking only about your cash flow and not about your customers in the short term. It feels nice at the time when you all of a sudden went from, you know, a Ford Focus to a Ferrari. That feels exciting, but it's just not sustainable. So it's time and time again. We hear this all the time. You can't forget about the customer. If you just produce a product that sucks and doesn't care about them, you will always be chasing acquisition and you only can make money off acquisition, which is the most expensive, smallest margin transaction. It always has been ever since, you know, paid media existed. True. That is going to be your lowest margin transaction, right? Everything after that is where really companies become big companies. You're not getting that if you don't live in the back end. So I I just wanted to kind of reemphasize that. If you're right now and you're in your business that you were burning through your customers and you were solely acquisition based, you really need to step back and ask yourself, how could I start changing? Where, Where are the value leaks that are just hemorrhaging in my business and pissing all my customers off. How could I flip that and change it? Cause it does make a substantial difference. Yep. And we see it time and time again, companies that weather storms have backends, they have loyalty, they have customer equity. True. The ones that just disappear are the ones that rode cash on a trend. That trend died and they don't know how to pivot or they yep. don't even have the cash flow to pivot. You well, know? And, and one of the things to think about is, um, you know, which is surprising to some people is, um, 
you know, you, you may have a set of products and you might think, all right, well, you know, how am I re-engage these people and keep them engaged, you know, and, and make sure that they're, that the address is, is real and I'm getting some value out of it. Um, think about Kraft and General Mills. These are companies that back in the 30s created cookbooks, which was really, really helpful for a lot of people. And it was predominantly women back then. And everyone had the Betty Crocker cookbook. Well, they kept doing that. They've got tens of millions of people that actually sign up for their newsletters. And it's all recipes all the time. Meredith has recipe stuff, but you know, Kraft and General Mills, these are brand companies who have tens of millions of people in their, in their, in their email. And they're not just hawking and pushing product. They're talking about how to make a quick meal for your family of four and do it really quickly, you know, and, and or maybe it's something longer. And now you've got, you know, all these men and women want, you know, looking at these emails and they're running advertising in them. Whoever thought that General Mills and Kraft would be, be like monetizing, you know, this amazing asset. And you know who's buying a lot of the inventory? It's the brands. But they have to buy in. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and so when you think about, you know, uh, a lot of products and service companies out there, if you can find a niche and start writing, look at Patagonia. Yeah. Part of the reason people go to their website is to actually look at the documentaries, look at the things they're writing about. You know, they want to know what's their perspective on a more sustainable life. It's inherent. It's a purpose driven company. Mm -hmm. So what I encourage people to do is think about how you might be able to write something. Yeah. Find something that's still relevant to your product, recipes, craft. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Here's how you yeah. use our, our stuff. But it's not all about their, their, their products. Yeah. You have to have a broader perspective than just me, 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 me. Now, another thing before I forget is also building up your third-party assets. You know, for God's sakes, when you're, when you're getting people to sign on, don't let them sign on via Facebook. Yeah. Get you your own permissions. Yeah. Get them to sign up with an email address, and now you own it. Mm-hmm. Having Facebook now tied and actually restricting the way you can use that first party data, it's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. We already know what these, what these walled gardens are doing. They want to grab as much information as possible and they're not round tripping the data back to you. And I think when you think about diversification plays, being on people-based platforms is really helpful. Being on people-based platforms that actually give the data back to you because it's your data, that's I think really important. Mm-hmm. So if you're building up these assets, make sure that, you're, that you own them. Yes that you can leverage them, and you're not just giving away the most important part of, of your relationship, which is the identity and the right to actually market to that person. Yeah. And you do lose some of that. Facebook is coming out with its own shopping cart. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine having Facebook as your shopping cart and Facebook goes down, which it did within the last 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. How there messed up business. is that? Yeah. There goes your business. Mm-hmm. So now you've got Amazon. A lot of people are using Amazon as their shopping cart. They don't get all the rights to that data. And now Facebook is doing the exact same thing. You're not going to have all the rights to that data. So people are losing the right to actually market to the data that mm-hmm. they should actually have. Yeah, because when they own all that data, they own you and your business, right? Your business is something that it really doesn't exist outside of a platform yeah. that owns all that. So if you want to own your own business, you have to own yeah. the identity of your customers. So when it really comes down to if you don't own that and you don't own real estate, you're right? Those are the two things you really have to have for, for a business to sustain. Yeah. Um, you know, beyond whoever owns that data, right? So you so. may have to be thinking about a new shopping cart. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You may need to be thinking about someone else that's out there that's independent, that's mm-hmm. not tied. Um, yeah. You know, Shopify is good. I think cart.com is really building out some really interesting things. Like you may want to get something where you actually yeah. get your data back instead of depending on, on Facebook and Amazon. And, and that's a question you should be asking when you're looking for that stuff. So yep. it's always, hey, what data am I going to get back? How are you going to give it to me? 
Yeah. I'm going to have it. So circling back, I'm sorry, we, we keep, <laughs> we're building that database out. So get something that gets the asset, gets the email. You're yep. starting building that data so, in there. So yeah, acquiring your, your data asset. Um, um, in a, and then we're talking about the fundamentals, like building a graph, finding partners to actually help you, um, you know, build out that graph, store it in a, you know, CDP, be able to access that and then push audiences out into these people-based platforms as part of your CRM efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, leveraging that data is super smart, you know, um, but you have to be able to have it in an environment where you can control it, you can update it, and then you can connect it all to all the other identifiers yeah. and leverage those in your media buying. Are there any um, you know companies or CRMs that you'd recommend for business owners when they're building that? Because I know CRM tends to be something with a lot of people really struggle to find the right one. I feel like that the only thing that's harder than dating in 2021 is finding the right CRM. Um, so if there's any advice or recommendations for, for technology when you're trying to build this out. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, we work with all the ESPs, so I'm, I'm, I'm ESP agnostic. Gotcha. But I think going through a real, a, a real process, running through a real RFP process and, and fi- figuring out, first off, figure out what you really want to accomplish. Because if you're, just need to accomplish a few things that don't go by the Cadillac mm-hmm. or the Ferrari. It's way too much. And you're going to be very, very confusing. So you might be able to start with a smaller ESP with services, but maybe find an ESP that actually specializes in what you do. A lot of ESPs really focus in. You might have one that's really focused in on lead gen, and they're really, really good at lead gen, which is a two-step process, sales process. Some are excellent within retail. And if you need really super advanced stuff, then, then go ahead and go for you know for the Cadillac. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into specific you know companies yeah. around that. But then when I think about identity, I think you know like Live Ramp is really good. Live Intent, we're, we've got identity services. Making sure that you understand the lay of the land and talking to companies that actually help you with these assets, and then make all those connections, help you build the graph, activate that graph, leverage that first party data to the best of your ability. Even doing things like you know. One thing that works really well on Facebook is lookalikes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's dependent on having first-party data yeah. and actually being able to tell of my customers which 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 folks are the best. What are the best customers? What what other people you know do mm-hmm. I want to find that look like that? Mm-hmm. And then uploading that segment, pushing audiences into a Facebook into Live Intent. There's plenty of companies you can do this kind of thing. Yeah. You know, Facebook is lookalikes. We do like more actalikes. Yeah, we look at behavior like that. So yeah. we do more actalikes, and it actually works extremely well. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be pushing these audiences all over the place and be protecting those audiences without some fundamental structure behind it. So yeah. having a CDP, having protected data, um, yeah. is really important. And you got a couple of years to figure it out. Yeah. But if you think that you're going to wait and for two years to do it, it's not going to work. It the- takes about a year, sometimes two years, to actually kind of get the structure built. Yeah, I was going to say, like, go- going through and building that infrastructure from business that maybe we, we, big acquisition, things are great, and then it's like, hey, we need to get more mature, which I think is what lots of entrepreneurs do. Oh no, I'm successful. I should probably grow up now, right? Yeah. Um, but but yeah, getting that data infrastructure in place where not only you could bring it in, store it, organize it, and send it back out a year to 18 months. So you really need to be thinking about it right now and sure. taking action right now yep. um, because it, it's gonna take some time. Um, even if you find one, I've never heard somebody have a CRM or you know build that infrastructure and not have to tweak and change it specifically for their business. None of these things you just nope. pull out of the box and plug in and go. Um, if they are, great, you need to stick with that, stay with it, but but don't build that into your expectations. So really appreciate that. Um, so. For sake of time, because we could probably talk for far too long, um, what people that are really interested, they you know, tell a little bit more about 
how live intent could help them. You mentioned that yeah. story of like people that are in a situation they're looking for verification. They they want to get access to a traffic channel that's going to be amazing yep. for them, scalable, um, not just for a couple months, but for a long time. So how can they get in touch with you or Live Intent and, and see if that's a solution for them? Uh, well, one, they can go to liveintent.com, which is obviously, and we've got a lot of blog posts. We have a lot of blog nice. posts and deep content around iOS 15, uh, the cookie apocalypse, uh, managing first party data, um, you know, the, the services that we've got in terms of helping, um, you know, build and activate, um, you know, your, your first party data, which I think is uh, super important. But, you know, stepping back, I think one of the, the, the things why I wanted to actually come back to Affiliate Summit is, um, is inspires people to look outside of the pricing model of CPA. Um, I feel like a lot of people missed out on, on, on Facebook because they were fixated on CPA. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that we've built this for performance. We built this, we love the affiliate world, we like performance marketing, we're addicted to the math and the, you know, like oh, yeah. how all this stuff really works. And so I think that the biggest thing is start somewhere. Um, you know, we, we can do self-serve. Um, we're doing a lot of that in the affiliate world. There's a lot of media buying teams on, on affiliate platforms that are mm -hmm. buying arbitrage or buying, you know, on CPA and then selling on, on or CPM and buying and selling on uh, yeah. CPA. I think that's actually really great. Um, and uh, and just know that that the, the scale is there. You know, launching a simple campaign for us is very simple. You know, we get the media, we get the creative assets, we launch. It takes two weeks to actually go through learning mode. Oh, nice. Within two weeks, all we're looking for is like 10 conversions a day. Once we actually get that done, then we can actually predict with some pretty good accuracy of how much we could spend on a monthly basis. You wow. could literally go from spending $400 a day to spending $200,000 in your first 60 days once we figure out it works. Nice. While hitting your CPA and your ROAS goal. That's what we built it for. That's why we are, we're in existence that way. It's because it, it just builds an annuity. Once you succeed like that, why would you ever turn it off? Yeah. Um, so getting less fixated on a pricing model is really important. I would say the other thing and why not just Live Intent, but any people-based platform, it's about the customer journey. Mm -hmm. If you're just working with a publisher that can only do acquisition, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. If you can find someone that can actually do acquisition, branding, acquisition, onboarding, retention, loyalty, and win back. That's a lot. That's what you can do with any people-based yeah. marketing platform. That's nice. where I think we're, we're, where magic is. It's mm -hmm. actually by doing the acquisition, helping them onboarding, hitting them with messages on New York Times, other places, and onboarding them into the brand, then actually taking some of those CRM offers and things like that. If only 20% of your audience opens up your email, what about the 80% that don't? Yeah. So actually reaching the 80% that don't open your emails with your offers and with your special promotions and your mm -hmm. loyalty programs and that kind of stuff, it's a game changer. Yeah. And then when someone actually leaves the brand and you want to win them back, we can actually help with that as well. Now, when you do all of these things, all tides rise. Mm -hmm. If we were only doing acquisition, we'd only be so good. But now, like, you know, for instance, you know, when they bring them in, we can do um, dynamic product retargeting hmm. in email. So wow. we're doing dynamic on the fly product retargeting, showing them the last thing that was in the shopping cart and doing it in email. It took yeah. us like five years to figure that out. <laughs> but when we're able to do that, now we're actually driving a lot more than just the initial cost yeah. per acquisition. Yeah. Now it's not just a basic acquisition platform. That's no, where you could transform the business because now it's not just what's my CPA, what's my LTV? How could we grow that LTV? How can I recapture That's it. you know whatever my CPA might be if I want to float for that, right? But That's right. if I'm making my back end get so much better because I have diverse way to engage the different stages of the customer, 
yeah. and that really changes your business because I yeah. could just continue to ascend that LTV yeah. and that CPA could go ascend with it, right? That's true. And, and the old adage, just the general concept of what wins in marketing, the more you could pay, the more you could play. So it, it's, it all comes yeah. down to that idea that you can't just think about the first yes. It's the second, third, fourth. It's also who they, they're talking to next, yep. right? It's bringing you back in. So many different angles. And once they're in their world, keep them there, right? Well, when you, when you stop fixating on the CPA and you get more into, you know, um, you know second purchase, mm -hmm. average shopping cart value, lifetime value, 90 days, you start to realize things like, hey, you know, I know you say your CPA is, you know, $50. Um, how are we performing on the back end compared to your top 10? Mm -hmm. All right, well, if we're doing better, then couldn't we actually increase the CPA? Yeah. Allowable? Because as you increase the CPA allowable, the CPMs actually, we can, we can buy higher CPMs. It's mm -hmm. the same dynamic that affiliates are already, they already know this. Yeah. Yep. But, but you know, it, what we find is larger fluctuations in the CPA based on the backend performance. And because we do have tags on every page of every, you know, every, you know, um, one of our, uh, brands, you know, websites, mm -hmm. we can actually start tracking that because we can see the second purchase come in. We can yeah. see the shopping cart value and then we can start tweaking what we're doing to mm -hmm. drive better outcomes. Yeah. I think that's the point. Yeah. It, just to, just to finally, it always makes me think John Teffer, um, who from Bar Rescue has a great thing. I think he was talking with Gary V one time about a strategy in his three like sequence to get somebody to become a loyal fan into a restaurant. So I won't go through the whole thing, but if you ever want that, that concept of don't yeah. think about just the first experience and how you design the second and the third to create a loyal customer, just go find that out there. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, it is for restaurants, but that same concept could be utilized in your business digitally as well. Um, and really looking at what happens, I've got you, but I want to think about all the other next interactions and yeah. what, what that looks like. So again, That's Jason, smart. really appreciate your time. This is a fantastic conversation. This could probably be a four hour podcast. If it was my, yeah. so, but I know you have other things to do. So, um, really appreciate it again, guys go, um, to liveintent.com, consume the content and honestly yep. probably start buying some ads there. This should be something you look for in your business, whether you're an affiliate or an offer owner, really appreciate the time. Have no a great problem. one out there guys. And by the way, oh. uh, people can reach out to me via um, um, Jason at liveintent.com. Super easy. Perfect. Even better. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks Jason. You guys Thank have, you. you have a good one and everyone out there be safe and you have a great one as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Yep.